Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey there, Get to Vet, Trevor Maxwell here, and with me as always is my podcasting partner, Mike Riggs. Looking yes. forward to this topic today. Yes, and uh, today, you know, the topic we're going to discuss is one that, you know, realistically, we, we realized uh, is something we should have talked about a lot sooner. We're going to discuss suicide prevention today, and, uh, you know, our guest I was introduced to by a retired SEAL who, you know, we had just talked on LinkedIn and he said, Hey, you know, let me introduce you to somebody who specializes in this. And then maybe you could have them on your podcast. So we're glad for her to join us today. Uh, Monika Christensen, thank you very much for being here. Hi, how you doing? Good, good. And uh, if you want, yeah, feel free to tell us a little bit about your background and, and uh, also, you know, uh, you know, We'll kind of go through this. I know you have some some talking points up here too, so I'm excited to get, to dive into this. Okay, well, thank you for having me today, and I'm looking forward to learning from you and sharing some ways to help us all stay safe and hopeful in these times. And a little bit about me: I'm currently completing my master's in clinical psychology at Pepperdine University and I graduate in June, so I'm excited for that. And uh, concurrently, I'm working at the Honor Foundation, part of the US Navy SEAL Foundation, as a career coach, helping military transition into civilian life. And uh, I really enjoy that. It's a challenging time, I think, for, for everyone when they transition. And so it's been my pleasure and honor to be able to serve the special operations community and help their transition to be a little bit easier. Uh, Before that, I was a federal agent, a special agent for the Department of Defense, and I investigated crimes against DOD by defense contractors, subcontractors uh, for fraud, waste, and abuse, central systems fraud. So I learned about engineering of weapon systems, accounting systems, and basically keep the weapon system safe for the military to utilize and employ. Uh, after that, I went to UCLA and got a mini master's in Arabic and Middle, Stu- Middle East studies and uh, worked with the State Department for a while and also had my own business uh, educating and acculturating uh, Arabian Gulf students and Japanese students to America, to our uh, way of life, our religion, Christianity, brought in the church and uh, taught them American manners and etiquette and non-chauvinistic attitudes. <laughs> so that was fun. And that kind of led me into going into uh, clinical psychology because as a life coach and a liaison, cultural liaison, I learned that you can really help change someone's mindset in a positive way. And so that led me to um, working in psychology and I actually learned about the suicide rate of 22 a day from listening to a podcast, uh, Marcus Luttrell and David Rutherford and uh, Team Never Quit. 
And when I heard about that, I was looking forward to a new career. So I really prayed about it for a year and asked God, why are you letting this happen to our beautiful warriors? And why don't you do something? And he told me, why don't you do something? So a month later, I applied at Pepperdine and I got in and here I am. Nice. And that's, yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's a good question. And, um, you know, for those of you who, who don't, don't know, I know Mike and I, pretty much everybody in the, who was a Navy OD tech knows about this, but we had, um, you know, we had a, a guy that Mike and I had served with before, um, take his own life uh, a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, that, that was just kind of like a, one of those things that just kind of hit us out of the nowhere. Cause if, if you know, the background of this show, a lot of this, uh, stemmed from a former teammate of mine and Mike's, uh, senior chief, Scott Dayton, who was killed in action back mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, 2016 in Syria, you know, we, we, <clears throat> that was sort of the impetus of, of my, decision to get out and do things because one of the things that you knew about Scott was he was all about brotherhood and and camaraderie and and taking care of each other and you know I just kind of had this epiphany one day of like you know I I feel like I could do a better job of this from outside of the military than I can on the inside and so that that led to my decision to retire and then you know Mike followed me a couple years later and and we just talking about this said, Hey, let's, let's talk about some of this transition stuff on this podcast. Um, right. you know, yeah, I, I, my, my own personal take on this and, you know, we just lost another guy not too long ago. Uh, the commanding officer of SEAL team eight, uh, Brian bourgeois Bouge, as we called him, uh, you know, I had worked for him at team four in Iraq back in 2008. Awesome dude. And, you know, had a, had a big family, uh, you know, he was killed in a training accident a couple of weeks ago and, you know, it, that breaks my heart hearing that cause he was the commanding officer and, and, you know, I'm sure he's like a lot of other folks is like, Hey, I would rather it be me than, than, than one of my people, uh, have it happening to them, but still I would be better if it didn't happen to any of them. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. I just, you know, it's kind of like my, my thing now is I feel like, you know, we have guys that we lose, uh, to, to training accidents or in combat and things. Uh, I, I feel like the best thing that we can do to honor those sacrifices that they make is to continue to go out and and live the best life that we can. And so, yeah, when I, when I hear about, you know, like we heard about there in the EOD community, we had two suicides within 12 hours of each other. And I, I thought, man, that, that, that hurts my heart a little bit. And, you know, I'm, I had spent like an hour, at least an hour on the phone with a, a good friend of mine, um, Tyrone Logan, right after, right after this happened. And, you know, we just sat there for an hour, like, man, I wish I knew what we could do about this. And I was like, well, I think probably the first thing we could start doing is, is start, uh, let's start talking about it. And so, after that long-winded <laughs> uh, rant there, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have you on here and, and start talking about it. So I'll, I'll let you kind of uh, take it away because I know you have some stuff prepared already. Right. Okay. Sure. Let me just get it back up. There we go. Uh, so 
I think first I'd like to talk about the underlying risk factors for suicide prevention. And um, it starts with the fear of the unknown when people, you know, they're either deploying or they're in transition and uh, they don't know what's gonna happen. So that's, you know, a scary time for people along with anxiety about deployments and leaving family or transitioning and not knowing what job they're gonna get, when they're gonna get it, what they're gonna do. That brings a lot of anxiety and fear to people. Also, another indicator is failed relationships. It's a big one. As you know, one of the EOD guys that committed suicide was going through a divorce. And uh, so it's important I'll talk about it a little bit later, but to have like a buddy system and my soft uh, psychologist mentor, he has a mandate every Friday with another psychologist and they don't miss it. And they check in with each other just to make sure everything's still good. So another thing is financial hardships. Uh, when people transition, they don't have a job right away. Substance abuse, how sometimes Warriors deal with stress from feeling lonely, depressed, or anxious. Um, stigmatization of mental health issues. That's why people don't reach out and get help sometimes. They feel that it equates with weakness or incapability. And um, guilt and shame for needing help. In the soft community, as the community I come from in law enforcement, people take a lot of pride in their job take pride in independence and being strong and being high achievers and keeping it all together. And they don't wanna be a burden and they don't think they need help that bad. So it's harder for them to reach out. Along with uh, PTSD, TBI, uh, and we'll talk about that more later. And sometimes lack of resources and information. So those are the underlying issues that kind of creep into people's lives that kind of start the cascade effect. Uh, they call it like a waterfall. It starts, you know, with these things and then it comes to more severe things. So um, next I'll talk about the suicide warning signs, uh, depression, sleep changes, interest loss, feelings of guilt or worthlessness, Energy changes usually decrease along with concentration decrease, appetite changes, nervousness, and then suicide ideation. So that's what happens when people are pretty depressed. Then also another warning sign is loneliness and isolation. That makes a person retreat inward, inwardly and they don't reach out and they kind of have automatic negative thoughts and they kind of ruminate. So again, an important reason to have uh, a transition uh, teammate, someone that you check in with weekly is number one solution to this issue. Someone that you build, someone you can trust, someone that's safe, that you can build a close relationship with. And it could be your wife, it could be your best friend, it could be someone from church, someone from the gym, uh, one of your buddies from operating. 
anyone that you have a close trusting relationship with and that you commit to checking in, whether it's by Zoom or in person, go for coffee, go to the gym, go to a bar, whatever, have a talk. And another sign is inability to relate to the civilian world. Sometimes when you transition, you're at work, you're the only combat veteran, you listen to other people's opinion about the military and the war, that they have a different perspective and they weren't there. So uh, emotional regulation, self-control, and you know, practicing these things and learning these things are really important. And realizing that everyone has an opinion and sometimes it's informed, sometimes it's uninformed, but they have a right to it. So you move on and just you know ignore it. Financial and relationship problems, we talked about uh, lack of understanding or empathy from family and friends, not knowing what you're going through. Uh, if your family doesn't know what you know, PTSD is about or TBI or moral injury, you know, maybe give them some information on it uh, so that they have some understanding of what you're going through. Uh, multiple stressors happening at once. So I think this is what happened with the EOD guy that was active duty that recently committed suicide. So if he had someone checking in with him once a week for like a buddy system for the last, let's say three months, they would see things escalating. And yes, we're strong people, yet we're still human. So human beings can only take so much mentally and their heart can only get torn up so much before the stressors outweigh the resiliency or coping skills. So I think that's something to really, really um, tune into and observe when you meet with your friend. What's going on in their life? Good question to ask is, tell me what's happening with you when you see they're upset. You know, oftentimes they have, you know, maybe someone at work or their boss is giving them a hard time. They can deal with that. But then the wife asks for a divorce. Then it becomes a very um, hard like a snowballing effect kind of thing. Right. Right, right. So the person becomes overwhelmed. And what do they do? They retreat inwardly. They isolate. So I can tell you from my own personal time with depression is I'm a very extroverted person <laughs> and I isolated. And so my friends from church used to come and pick me up, wait for me to get ready. They were going to church. We're going to an event. We're going to wait for you let's go. They're not like, oh, you're taking too long. Drive yourself. No, we're going to sit here. We're going to wait for you. It's going to take a half hour. That's fine. Get it together. Let's go. And we're not leaving until you go with us. So that's what you need to do. You need to, you know, spend a night on the couch at their house. You need to take them places. You need to really lean into what are you going through right now, bro? What's going on with you? And um, recently I had a fellow at THF and his um, girlfriend had a friend that was going through this. And because they had that relationship for several months, she's like, 
you know, could you and your boyfriend come stay the night with me? You know, my husband's still deployed. I'm really depressed. I really appreciate it. They dropped everything and stayed like two or three nights. That's what she needed. Then her mom came in town, stayed for a week. Then the husband came home. Perfect. See that, have that relationship built up. Just one person, research shows you only need one person, one close, trusting, safe, loyal friend to be with you and to have built up that relationship. And that checks in with you once a week to make a difference in your life. And I can tell you from listening to DNQ podcast, the theme that I heard over and over again with um, veterans and from the soft community was that, you know, I was in the garage with the car running, the gun next to me, and this is David Rutherford's story, uh, or no, it's John Ryan, sorry. He called David Rutherford and said, dude, I'm going to do it. David Rutherford talked him down, said, get out of the car, go into the house, sit down, let's have a talk. They talked, eventually went in and turned off the car <laughs> and uh, averted a catastrophe. The car was leaking <laughs> Yes, the back pipe that was about to explode. Anyway, so, and now he has, you know, Sean Ryan has a a thriving, successful career teaching, you know, moms and others how to use weapons and et cetera. So he went to a therapist, he got his mind straight. He understood himself better. He understood why he feels what he feels, understood all the things he went through. And that's why he feels how he feels and how to change his mindset to change his feelings, to change his thoughts, to change his actions. I think, you know, that's some of the stuff you were talking about there too. Like me being a a coach at THF as well, and Mike being an alumnus of THF, that's one of the really important things that I think they hit on at the beginning of THF. Um, and, And a lot of people, when they come in there, they say, why are we doing this, right? It's figuring out who you are, right? Developing an identity that's not based on what you used to do for a living. Because uh, there's a really good book. If anybody hasn't read it, it's called Touch. It's sitting on my desk or my bookshelf right here. It's called Touching the Dragon, written by Jimmy Hatch. Mm -hmm. Um, Jimmy Hatch was a SEAL at... uh, And he was, he was injured while he was, uh, they were out searching for Bo Bergdahl, got Mm -hmm. shot in the leg, couldn't, couldn't be a super cool guy anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the loss of that identity was really devastating to him. And he talks about it in his book and he got to the point where, you know, basically the police uh, showed up at his house in Norfolk and he was sitting on the porch with a gun in his hand. And, you know, the cops were able to talk him down and get him the help that he needs. And, right. you know, and that's why I think that's important. Like a lot of people on on the left side of, of their transition, they don't understand, like, why do I need to figure out what's all this figure out who I am crap, right? I already know who I am. And I'm like, you really don't. And you don't realize that you don't until after you're not what you think you are anymore. I don't know. I hope that didn't confuse anybody with that statement. And and <laughs> yeah, Mike, you could kind of talk through it, having gone through that firsthand. No, I, I uh, you know, the military 
I've said this before, when you transfer from one command to another, and it can be even on the same base, because I've done it multiple times on the same base, you're required to have a sponsor. And yet, in the most important transition, which is from when you step out of the gate that last time, you do not get a sponsor. It is on you to find that transition mentor. And that is the most important time to find not just one, but find many, find many people that will give you honest and candid feedback on what you're about to do next and seek them out early and often because it's going to be that, you know, find those people that will tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. Because like we just said a little bit ago, you know, what you just did isn't who you are. It's what you did. So, you know, and then doing things like the honor foundation, discovering your why and like, um, you know, finding your purpose, like the commit foundation helps you find your, your purpose and those types of things. It's very similar, you know, having done those, those programs help me immensely to help find my direction, you know, as I transition out and, and I fortunately didn't have a lot of the stressors that a lot of other folks have, you know, I, I was a 30 year retired guy. So, you know, I, my kids weren't going to be eating ramen noodles and I wasn't going to be thinning the ketchup. So, uh, and my wife has a great career as a university, uh, faculty. So, you know, but for, there's a lot of folks that aren't in the same position I am, but right. you, you know, and then there's like folks like the, the guy that Trevor just coached in the honor foundation, Earl, that dude could write a playbook on how to do it. That guy was hungry. He went after it, went after his transition and nailed it down, you know, and, and you know, the other thing you made a great point about, you know, the, the lack of, I think, middle America, once, once folks get away from the San Diego's and the Fort Bragg's and the Camp Lejeune's and the, the Norfolk's and they get back to middle America, like Trevor and I are both from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I find when I go back there, nobody understands what I did. You know, there, even in West Virginia, where there's a their per capita that served in the military is, I think, one of the highest in the in the country. Mm-hmm. You still don't have that empathetic ear that understand what you did, not even let alone somebody who's been in combat. So, you know, you are like I, I ran the statistic when I worked on Capitol Hill. You know, if you served in World War Two one out of every 10 people that you walk down the street served in the military due to the the population at the time, the amount of people that served. Now you, you, there's, you got little to no chance of walking down the street. And, and then, you know, you have the social media aspect where everybody's now, you know, I mean, we're being a little bit hypocritical because here we are on social media doing the same thing, but you know, people aren't on, you know, they're not in motorcycle clubs. They're not playing softball. They're not, you know, my grandfather, was a Shriner and he was in the American Legion and, you know, they didn't do that over zoom because they didn't have it obviously, but uh, you know, that's where those veterans of those days shared their, you know, their experience and, and they, that brotherhood and so on and so forth. And I think that was, that went a long way to prevent some of the things that we're seeing at an epidemic pace right now. Right. And I'm going to talk about that. In, in a little bit about um, attending and belonging to support group, 
and how important that is. So let me just finish the last three things for warning signs. And you touched on it, sense of hopelessness and lack of purpose. And I think that's what the the seal that had to, uh, that wrote Touching the Dragon was feeling. And that's what I heard over and over again in the podcast I listened to, TNQ, that until you find that sense of purpose in your next mission that you're passionate about, you're lost. You're really, it's easy to get stuck. I know I got injured uh, on the job and I had to leave a job I loved. And I totally relate to that where you lose your identity. You work, you know, 12 hours a day at a job and then you lose your identity all of a sudden because you can't do it anymore. And so it takes a while to really search for that and find that. And, And it's a different identity, but it can be just as fulfilling. So I love my job now. I help heal people's hearts, minds, and souls. And I think that's just as fascinating as being a special agent. And it's really fulfilling. So I tell my uh, fellows that you can be just as passionate about your next mission. It'll just be a little bit different than your last mission. But it can be just as fulfilling. Okay, and then lastly, um, warning signs, uh, depression, PTSD, they uh, increase the chances of suicide and PTSD, TBI, as well as chronic pain and PTSD. So the protective factors that research has confirmed uh, is seeking therapy, emphasizing your strengths. So you guys are really good at telling stories to each other. That's a perfect way to emphasize your strengths. You all did an amazing job in Afghanistan and Iraq, and nothing this administration or generals that made negative decisions for the chaotic withdrawal diminishes anything that you all did in the past 20 years. You gave freedom to women to go to school that they didn't have before. You gave them opportunity to be in the government, to participate, to have roles in their government, to have their own businesses. You gave a 20 year reprieve to a country that needed it. So I want you all to be very proud of your service and know that you made a difference. Uh, So another thing is therapy, understanding yourself, why you feel like you do, understanding what you've gone through, weekly mandates with a trusted friend, uh, conflict resolution skills, taking that deep breath, cognitively reframing someone's negative comment about the military or war and just realizing that, okay, that's his opinion. I'm not going to get triggered by it. I'm going to realize that everyone has one and go on with what I know and detach emotionally from that. Problem solving skills, know your triggers, your sensitive areas, learn how to stay in neutral. Uh, Exercise, really important. Go for a run, walk with your dog, lift weights, yoga, calm your mind down, mindfulness, focus on what you're doing. Attend and belong to support groups. Veterans group, they have it. I go to Saddleback Church, they have a veterans group there. That's amazing. And the veterans are from like 25 to 85. It's so awesome because they share stories. They share their experiences. Uh, It's inspiring. I love it. 
um, the VFW Hall, uh, we, like you talked about, uh, gym group, and, you know, um, staying in touch with your friends that you worked with. Really making an effort to stay connected to these friends that you've known for 20, 30 years. Making an effort to do that and not just let it go by the wayside. Uh, knowing that vulnerability is strength, as David Goggins says. So when we're vulnerable with a safe, trusted person, we give them an opportunity to be vulnerable back. And they learn from us and we learn from them. And that's how we become stronger in the area that is challenging to us. And lastly, spirituality, praying daily, uh, joining a small group at church, have an accountability partner and practice meditation, mindfulness, pray daily. <clears throat> so there's a parable, a stream parable that they use at the public health service for a suicide reduction strategy that's very successful. And they've researched and found that the best outcomes for prevention is overall and sustained efforts in which training is only one small area of focus. So I know the military is really good at giving that annual suicide training, but that is not sufficient. There's three areas of approach. Upstream strategies, they create a protective factor, which reduces risk, increases sense of belonging, increases resilience by respectful communication, empathy, cognitive flexibility, and reframing skills. These are all really, 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 really important things to start out at the top of the waterfall. So I'll give you the little illustration. Can't see online, I apologize, but promote resilience is at top of the waterfall. So we start with that. So my idea is to have, to teach the NSW um, SQT teachers these skills so that they can teach them early on in a person's career so that they have all these mindset, protective factors, coping skills, so they can put them in action when they need it. It's more tools in your toolbox, the better. And then there's the midstream approach, which is identifying emergent risk and connect them to suitable support pre-suicidal crisis. Really important to inoculate at-risk populations and then normalize health help giving. That's one thing the military really has to focus on, normalizing help giving. It's a strength to know when to ask for help. It's important to ask for help. Take away any stigma from them. And the analogy I like to use is football player. USOF athletes are true warrior athletes. Like football players, you get hurt, you need a tune-up, and athletes go and get it right away. After the game, they're in the physical therapy area, they're getting ice, they're getting massages, they're getting whatever they need. 
they're getting, you know, performance therapy. Yours are the same, you're athletes. You need to be okay with getting help after the game, after deployments, whatever you need. And that's your right. And you have a $12 million center in, um, at Camp Pendleton, Intrepid Spirit. That is state-of-the-art mental health and wellness center. It's amazing. I've been there. I've interviewed a few people there. I've sent three fellows in the last cohort there, and they got the help they needed. This is free for you. This is amazing. The government is really good in this area. They really listened, and someone donated $12 million, and they are making a difference. And there's every kind of help there. There's psychotherapy, talk therapy, there's yoga therapy, there's music therapy, there's physical therapy, there's everything to get that athlete back in peak performance. So if they're transitioning or they're deploying, this is a good time after a 20 year war when we're not in an official public war yet to take some time for each other, especially active duty, take some time to go get help. You deserve it. You know, pro athletes play what 50 games sometimes in basketball or 30 in football. They <laughs> think that's a lot. You guys had 20 years in a war. Take this downtime to get help, to take care of yourself, to pat yourself on the back, saying, Good job. Let's get a tune up now. Let's get adjusted. So that's a midstream approach. And then downstream is uh, reduce access to lethal means and connect to get help. Uh, so downstream tactics are needed to lead the response when one has acute suicidal thoughts, attempt suicide. So you want to manage a crisis. And this is what I think sometimes people focus on, just the downstream tactic. When they're ready to go over the waterfall, <laughs> then they're like, oh, we better do something. No, 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 no. You need to do something way upstream so that you never get to the waterfall. You never get to the edge. That you really take care of your guys. NSW is known for taking care of your women. Now you have a women and men. So let's really put our money where our mouth is. And let's start upstream by creating a training program for the instructors to then teach the warriors protective factors, resiliency, mental resiliency, mental agility, emotional agility. Even if you don't like the guy next to you, see what's going on in his life, you talk to him. You can still be a friend. You don't have to like everything about him, but still be a friend and reach out and say, hey, tell me what's going on with you, dude. I see you're kind of struggling. Yeah, I struggled last week. Let me tell you about what happened with me. You know, my wife was on my butt and then things happened at work and, you know, it's about to lose it. So when you share your heart, we're all human. We all go through struggles and normal. Everyone goes through it. It's totally normal. The strongest person goes through it and it's human and be proud of being human. 
there's a saying, you can't feel joy until you feel sadness and you share that with someone. And I know in war, they teach you to shut down your emotions. It's important when you come home to then refresh those emotions, to talk to someone, to let them out, that you can breathe again, to unload all those compartments, that baggage that's on your back and in your mind, and to breathe and to process the events, process that moral injury, process the PTS, and unload that with someone so you no longer carry it. And that's what therapy can do. You know, uh, one of my favorite stories, I, I read this, I don't know, it was on some social media post. was uh, the therapist was talking about like this battalion command sergeant major would make an appointment to come in their office every week from 1230 to 130. And it would come in, the sergeant major would, would sit down and he would, you know, drink some coffee or whatever. And they would just talk for, for like an hour every week. And so after like, however many weeks, the therapist asked him, he said, well, you know, what are, what are you actually doing in here? Because, you know, it doesn't sound like you have any problems. And he goes, you know, you're right. I'm fine. But uh, there's a lot of, of my soldiers out there who aren't. And I think it's important uh, for them to, you know, if they can see me coming in here every week and leaving, like in full visibility of everything else, maybe that will motivate them to say, Hey, you know what? I, I'm going to do the, I'm going to do the same thing. Right. And right. for, right. for, for my own personal uh, experience, you know, after mine and Mike's uh, teammate, Scott Dayton got killed. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that was a, uh, that was a rough time for me. And, and that's when I went and sat down and started talking to some mental health professionals too. And, uh, you know, kind of helped me work through a lot of stuff and, and, and kind of make the decisions that put me on the path I'm on today. Right. Well, you, you bring up a great point and it's really in line with your intrepid spirit as well, because when I was a command master chief at EOD school, uh, I had a friend of mine get me a slot at intrepid spirit in Camp Lejeune and nobody at the schoolhouse had gone yet. And, I wrestled with the, the thought that here I am taking a slot from somebody and I'm, a, I'm basically using the rank has his privileges and I'm getting to go as a command master chief. And I thought, well, there's other people here that can use a slot. They could, they could go instead of me. And then I also said, well, what if, what if I go and then that, kind of paves the way where it says well if he can go then we can go exactly. and, and if and if i can maybe help smooth out the process and get through some of the you know the the you know the the roadblocks along the way and go all right we've already fig we figured this out or you know i know how we got there then it can be much easier for the next person that comes behind me um and yeah. and i thought that program it was a five week program for me, uh, intensive outpatient, you know, you got to stay at the Fisher house, which is another outstanding organization, uh, top notch place to stay right there next to the hospital when you're doing all your appointments. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I'll tell you, it's a five week, the five week program, NICO, I believe is four. Mm -hmm. I think it is, but, 
uh, Intrepid Spirit was five, you're, you're never going to get another opportunity or very few people are ever going to be afforded that opportunity to work on yourself. So uh, I, if, if anyone has ever given an opportunity, I highly recommend you take advantage of it and raise your hand, say yes, and go for it. Um, another thing, another point I want to um, make note of that you were talking about 20 years ago when I came into the UD community, you know, our mental health and resiliency and, 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 the, and especially in all encompassing, or, or I'm going to be really sarcastic here was, you know, do push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, go for a, a run, maybe do a swim in there and then, <laughs> and then deploy and don't go see mental health because they're going to take your clearance away. Right. And that was, that was our resiliency plan 20 years ago. Right. We've come a long way um, you know, to looking at how do we sustain, we, we've actually started looking at people as an investment and looking at the, the, the special operations person as the, the system, you know, I think you finally can get some of the senior uh, Navy leadership to go, okay, this person is actually the, 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 the deployable system and we need them. They're so expensive to find, to find them, let alone get them through the training. And now we need to get them competent and get them up to a certain level to deploy them. And now we need to keep them on, we need to keep them around hopefully for 10, 15, 20 years. Right. How, how do we keep them there? You know, yeah. the other thing is, another point is measuring levels of say cognitive ability when they come in, you know, like by the time I got my MRIs, I don't know how many times I've been knocked in the head, but too many, but it'd be really nice to where we start doing a lot of baseline stuff to where we can really track some of these cognitive declines or potential cognitive declines if and when the next conflict kicks off. So we can really see kind of similar to what they do in the NFL, you know, where they're, and we can maybe get ahead of some of the CTE stuff that we're seeing develop in the NFL players. It's really becoming apparent because they're, you know, they're in the news. But I think we're going to start seeing a lot of that within the breacher community and some of our guys that have been really exposed to high level blast injuries. And so, but, I, you know, I just want to say we're, we're getting there. We're really evolving the way uh, our resiliency piece has come along to where, you know, physical therapists, doctors of physical therapy, mental health professionals, because um, I'll be honest with you. 18, 20 years ago, there is no way I'm going to see mental health. There's no way I'm going to Trevor's spirit. There's no way physical therapy. What's that? You know, it's Motrin, Motrin 800s and suck it up and go. That's what it was. Right. But we're, we're coming a long way and we're right. going the right direction. Um, but uh, we're, we're not, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but we're getting, we'll, you know, we're going in the right direction for sure. Right, right. And it's in our beautiful center, Intrepid Spirit, beautiful people that work there, kind, helpful, have a heart for veterans. So yeah, I was like kind of surprised when I met these three fellows and they're like, oh yeah, I haven't gone. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> you have such a beautiful health and wellness spa there. <laughs> Go for it. And they did. So um, I was glad to hear that. 
sometimes they just need, you know, a little push and it's, you know, it's okay to go and, and get help and get a tune up. We all need them at times. If you break your leg, you go to the doctor. You don't say, oh, I'm going to fix this on my own. No, you go to the doctor. The same thing when you've had, you know, different traumas happen to you or you've had a lot of TBIs, you go to the doctor. It's just very normative. Another, you bring up another great point because there was a guy that worked for uh, or worked with uh, Trevor and I, and he was a very high performing individual and he would go to physical therapy at Portsmouth Naval Hospital. So when you're, when you're a special operations person and you're, you know, let's say you were capable of running six, seven minute miles mm-hmm. and then you go to Portsmouth Naval Hospital and hey, they're, they're a bunch of great professionals there. Don't get me wrong, but they're going to get you their Their idea of normal is getting you back to walking capable. Right. Whereas we, you know, now with our, like the strike program, I think Trevor mentioned it earlier, that, that we have on the East coast here at the EOD group. And I think NSW has developed something very similar. We're tracking the individual operator on what their capabilities were prior. So when you know that that person was running a seven minute mile and their gait was like this, or their upper body strength was at whatever, and their flexibility was so on and so forth, they go and get that surgery then they go back to physical therapy and the mission of the physical therapist is to get them as back to that normal as they were prior to, and not what Portsmouth Naval hospital thinks that that sailor on the USS, whatever is capable of doing, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's the framing of the normal, you know, just like if you look at the mental health aspect on the spectrum of a special operations guy, we're, we're completely off normal so don't even try to get us back to normal because most of us were never there to begin with so forget about it right you're above normal (laughs) guilty (laughs) guilty yeah so right so i think you bring up a great point that modeling behavior is so important and i think you did that when you went to the intrepid spirit and your guys saw that it was okay Yep. behavior is really really important and when the commander went to therapy to show the guys it's okay yeah. So, yeah, that's really important. And so uh, the importance of having that one close friend that can meet you when you're in your crisis and can help you get unstuck. And so I like to compare it to like when you're zoomed in on a picture on your phone and you're looking at someone's smile or the eyes or whatever and you're in the middle of your crisis and you're zoomed in on all the negativity, you know, my wife's dragging me through this terrible divorce and people giving me a hard time at work or whatever. And you can't zoom out on your own because you're stuck because your, your heart's involved, your heart's hurting from your wife hurting it and your marriage, you know, going down the tubes and you're uh, struggling with emotions and you're stuck. And so what that friend can do is help you zoom out on that picture and see your whole life. Your kids love you. You know, you're in great shape. You have a job you love. Yeah. There's, you know, someone at work that's a pain in the butt, but that always happens. And uh, there's always got to be one of them (laughs) to test us. So you can see the things that you're grateful for. And your friend reminds you of that. 
but your kids love you, dude. You know, you see the look in your son's eyes when he looks at you. He just loves you. He looks up to you. Your daughter can't wait to jump in your arms. That's worth everything. You have respect at work. You're in great shape. You know, you can run faster than me, whatever. You're better, <laughs> you're better in uh, firearms than me. So there's the friend can remind you of the whole picture. And um, neuroscience is my favorite part of psychology. And I just did a research paper on the trifecta of TBI, PTS, and moral injury and the best, most efficacious therapy. <clears throat> and so what I found out is that the brain can really heal itself, which is such good news. Um, I know people that have TBIs from, in my family, from, uh, you know, uh, competitive motor dirt bike racing. They've had a lot of concussions. And then later on in life, you know, they have issues. So the brain can heal itself. It can pave new neural pathways. The neuroplasticity, the brain's flexibility in changing how you think, how you feel, your habits, your actions, your behavior. And that can be done. So that's the really good news. And so uh, I think it's important to have that person to come alongside you, to give you a neutral perspective of, and a balanced perspective of your life and not just the inward perspective or where you are stuck. Because we all get stuck there when we're going through multiple crises or multiple stressors at one time. So that person helps you see what you can be grateful for. And Alex Korb, neuroscientist from UCLA, said there's four things we can do to make the brain really happy and to help us with depression. And that's to give hugs, not text someone, but hug someone. And I love Jerry from THF, EOG guy, that loves to give hugs. And, you know, that's so important. Jerry M.F. and Holmes. That's, yeah. what he calls. <laughs> that's what we all call him. You know him. Yeah. He's famous. Yep. Yeah. He gives a lot of hugs and I see the difference it makes in the guys, you know, they feel cared for. They feel taken care of. Uh, second thing that uh, Dr. Korb uh, says that can make your brain happy in the midst of depression is to label negative emotions. So I feel irritated right now. My wife doesn't understand me. My kids are screaming. What am I going to do about it? Your brain wants you to find an action plan. So, okay, I understand I'm irritated. I'm going to do some deep breathing. Realize the kid just got out of school. They're a little bit wild. I'm going to talk with my wife. Say, give me a minute. Just let me, you know, I just came home from work. Let me decompress for a minute. Then a plan of action. I'm going to go down and sit and talk with her. See what she needs. How can I help you, honey? Thank you for the five minutes to decompress. So you have a plan of action, you put it into action. And then the last thing is gratitude daily. I begin every day with gratitude. What are the three things I'm grateful for? What are the three things I'm grateful at night before I go to sleep? What, what was the best part of my day? One of the THF speakers, uh, a tribute to him. He gave us a great thing to do, exercise to do before we sleep. 
I call it big Navy go team. So it's what's the best thing that happened to you today? You journal it. What's the ideal part of your day? You got to work out, you got to do Pilates or run or Zumba. And um, what are the three things you're grateful for? That's B is the best thing, I is the ideal thing that happened to me today. G is gratitude. And then N is what is a new thing I learned today? And then G is what have I learned from God? And then B is what value have I given others? And then lastly is what am I looking forward to tomorrow? So that kind of summarizes your day and gives you perspective on what I accomplished today and what I look forward to tomorrow. I, um, you know, I, I try to do that too. Cause like doing all these separate different things that I do, like, keeping track of everything in my head is tough and the mindfulness thing is huge and and being cognizant and and aware of that stuff um pays big dividends and um yeah i i can attest to that you know personally like when i consciously do that stuff sometimes i let it slip or whatever it's the same thing with like stretching and working out right you get Mm-hmm. I I get the the seasonal depression where it starts getting dark at like five thirty. I'm just like, eh, you know, I don't want to work out. But I I push through that stuff. I make myself do it, and I know that I feel better at the end because I'll 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 have that same thing. Like I don't exercise for like a week, and I just feel it. You know, I just feel like crap, and and eventually I I'm able to make myself go into the gym one morning. I was like, man, that feels great, right? I'm back, right? <laughs> right. right. So exercise is a way that you release endorphins. It's like a natural high. It's something your body gives you to make you feel like, feel good naturally. So I try to do it five days a week. I uh, work out with the trainer, and I do Pilates and yoga. And I start every day with exercise and uh, walk my dogs. And it just like is a good, fresh start to the day. Get outside in nature, get some fresh air and just stimulate your body. And it's really hard to stay depressed when you exercise because your endorphins are circulating and your hormones are giving you happy feelings. So it's a natural antidote. So what, I mean, I, I guess that's, you know, we, we get back to the, the suicide thing too. And, uh, you know, well, I'll let you continue with, with your talking points and then we'll hit on okay. it there at the end. Okay, sure. So um, I want to uh, uh, talk about suicide that was put on by a VA psychologist at my church because my church, Saddleback Church in Lake Forest has a mental health center where all its uh, members can come for free mental health. So Rick Warren, uh, the pastor and the uh, author of Purpose Driven Life, his son committed suicide. He has an amazing way after grieving to turn it around and use that lesson learned to further someone else's life, to make a difference in someone else's life. So he said, what can I do to prevent this from happening? And he said, I'm going to build a mental health center on campus. It's huge, two stories. And I'm going to get, have, get people help that need it. So this doesn't happen to any other family. 
So through that lecture, I got this uh, brochure, this poster on what are your sources of strength? So these are really good places to get strength, to get um, help, to get resiliency, spirituality. You get hope uh, from that and prayer, meditation, mindfulness, healthy activities like we talked about, sports, gym, yoga, outdoors, activities, family support, effective communication, active listening. And that's really something important that you can learn in therapy. I teach uh, the guys that I coach and in a cup of coffee, like how to make your wife feel that you've heard her. So if she says, you know, honey, I'm really mad at you for uh, coming home late and not calling. And then the husband would speak back. It sounds like you're angry because I didn't call and you spent two hours making dinner and you're hurt now. Is that right? And the wife now feels heard and the anger can dissipate. I Next should probably time. take that class. Yeah. <laughs> it's important. Next time I have a call. Uh, positive friends. We talked about that are safe, optimistic. Get rid of the Debbie Downers or David Downers. Uh, medical access to uh, for optimal health. Get yearly checkups. Uh, mental health therapy. Focus on your strengths, coping skills, goals. So therapy can teach you new things about your brain. It doesn't always have to be like for your example of the commander that went in to get therapy. He could be learning neuroscience and different ways to increase his brain power as he's getting older, how to keep his brain neuroplastic so that he can keep learning, you know, learning a new language, learning a new sport, learning, you know, to use your left hand instead of your right, all those things challenge your brain. And I know like in, in yoga class and in uh, Pilates, the teacher has us do things with the left hand that we usually do with the right. And it's so hard and we're frustrated, but we're learning. That's paving new neural pathways, really important. So you can you don't necessarily have to have a problem to discuss. You can just learn and grow in neuroscience when you go to therapy. Uh, to have mentors, as you mentioned, invaluable. And that's what I love about THF, that they encourage you strongly to have those 50 cups of coffee where you learn and grow, you give to the person and the person gives to you and you learn from each other. Then generosity, giving to others without expecting anything back and storytelling. I don't wanna emphasize that enough. I can't emphasize that enough. You guys are really good at telling stories and embellishments or not, it's a source of strength and it's getting close to each other in a way that's comfortable for you when you tell your stories and you're sharing, you know, various parts of your personality, facets of your life and personality with someone else. And it's a really vital thing to do and to keep doing it because that it's a really positive resiliency skill. And then last but not least, to remind you that you're reservoirs of hope that empower the world. And I want to give three verses of hope for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. God wants to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. So it's important to have that hope. I ask my clients in therapy, where do you find your hope? And when they don't have God, it's a lot harder. I would say it's a lot harder to work through their problems, 50% harder when they don't have that hope. They don't have that touchstone of unconditional love and that relationship with God that they can reach out to, that they always feel loved by, even when their husband or their wife, you know, doesn't love them or their kids give them a hard time. Knowing that they have unconditional love and hope that they can reach out to. And the Bible is full of hopeful verses. I printed out 22. There's a lot more. But this, that's, you have to have a place of hope, like a well of hope that you can draw from. And that keeps you inspired and your purpose and passion for your next mission will carry you through. It sounds like, I mean, that's, you know, I, I, think about that too. And that's one of the things I talk about too, because, you know, this is funny when it comes to transition, most people come talk to me and they say, Hey, you know, I I saw something you posted on LinkedIn and, you know, I need help with my resume and I I need help with uh, interviewing and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, let's not even worry about that right now. Right. Mm -hmm. How, how are you, you know, with your sense of self and your sense of purpose, right? Are you kind of in, in touch with that? And they're like, well, I don't care about that. I need my resume. And I'm like, <laughs> you're looking at this through a very narrow aperture, right? Like you need to, you know, I, I kind of want to see where you're at because if I can help you get in touch with, with those bigger underlying themes, right? You got to build a, you know, nobody builds a house on a, on a shaky foundation, right? So don't, you don't need to worry about that right now. Worry about the, the bigger picture stuff and, and, and you'll see it on the other side, right? Because you're looking at it from one angle. I'm looking at it from the complete opposite, right? And I've been down the road you're going and I know now, you know, I have that hindsight. Yeah. I, I think the thing that really makes me excited to go out and, and help other people is I kind of went through this. I didn't really, I didn't have that stuff, right? I didn't go through the honor foundation. I didn't even know what the commit foundation was. I found out about all this stuff after I got out and I was looking for ways to, you know, help other people not uh, experience the same kind of stress and anxiety I did when I got out. Right. Right. Yeah. When I went through my transition, after I got hurt on the job, I had to leave the job. And then I'm like, now what do I do? And so I went, you know, back to school and got more education, like mini masters in Arabic and Middle East studies and um, went on and found my purpose. But that took a while. You know, I floundered for a long time. And so it's amazing. All the programs, the USO has a program for transition. Uh, If you're not soft, uh, they have an amazing program. I volunteered at the USO for seven years. I loved it. Uh, it's amazing organization. And now they're helping the guys transition because they saw the need for it. So I talked to a lot of guys on LinkedIn also and when they're kind of stuck. And so I remind them of all these resources that are out there available for them to go to. And unlike when you and I transitioned, there was nothing. <laughs> you know, We had to like figure it out on our own and it was terrible. That's why I have such a heart for THF because 
I know exactly what you're going through. And I, yeah, I spend, I'm kind of like hard on my fellow in the beginning because I demand a lot of time from him because I want to get to know him. I want to get to know what, what he, what makes him excited and passionate to do in the future. I want to know what his interests and his hobbies and his uh, ambitions are and what his heartfelt passion is, what target group he wants to help in his career in the future. So I, you know, I'm pretty strict in the first four to six weeks before he tells his story that I really want to get to know him. And that takes time. And then after that, I let up on the time requirement because the wife's upset or at THF and then they have to spend time with their coach. But I said, you know what, this is going to benefit her in the long run when you really take time to know yourself and know what makes you excited to go to work in the morning because that's what you've had for 20 years or 10 years or whatever. And that's a great feeling. I know that I had that too. So I want you to be excited about your next career as much as you're excited about your last one. Yeah, that takes time. So I'm, I'm really happy. I had a, a dev group uh, seal and we had to do it by Zoom. Took time to establish that trust <laughs> by Zoom. And, uh, he learned so much, very, he was very intelligent, very inquisitive. I had to study for my sessions for him because he really uh, asked me a lot of hard questions, but he got so much out of it. He got to know himself and who he really is. So I usually start out with uh, asking them, tell me about yourself. And I'll never forget his look. <laughs> what do you wanna know? tell me whatever you want to know kind of gave me this irritated look <laughs> and just let him talk yeah. because no one asked you that nobody like in the military says oh tell me about yourself i'm interested in you they're like get to work well especially in that career field you're you're kind of you know when you're still doing the work uh you you don't talk about yourself right you just kind of keep it keep your mouth shut and and the problem with that is, you know, later on, like when you go out and do other things, like that's what you have to do. Right. So if you've never done it, there's a lot of skills where you're kind of like, what talk about my, why would I do that? Right. Right. So like, right. right. And I encountered <clears throat> the same thing in law enforcement. So I spent part of my practicum for counseling, uh, the requirement for school with DHS and, um, doing therapy with, uh, special agents and their families and they have the same thing is i'm not gonna tell you about myself <laughs> i don't know you i don't trust you yeah. so yeah and uh so management helps a lot by saying you know this is someone you can trust this is monica she used to you know be one of us and you can trust her <clears throat> and thf does a really good job about that where these are coaches they're here for you they're here to help you. You can trust them. You can open up. They're safe people. And that's important. When I direct um, fellows to an organization, I want to make sure it's safe for them. Yeah. That the organization understands veterans, that they have veterans, that they want veterans. And if it's not that environment, I won't direct them to that. I don't care how much they pay. I don't care about anything else. I want a safe environment for them. So yeah. 
I go out of my way to find safe companies. The you interesting know, thing. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Well, the interesting thing about, especially the Honor Foundation process, you know, having been an alumni, you, you know, I think I can speak for the vast majority of the folks that go through it. When you, it's kind of like a prism, you know, that, that beam of light that enters the prism, you think, oh, I'm going in that direction. When you exit, that is not the direction that you thought you were going, you know, it, and it may be the career path. It may be, you know, the, the passion you thought you had, you know, like John McCaskill thought he was going to go into commercial banking, or whatever, and he ends up going uh, nonprofit. And now he's into coaching and that type of consulting, you know, mm -hmm. those types of things, you know, I think it's a path of discovery, you know, and then, you know, it really starts to define, you know, when you start to see the light, and it's in a completely different path, you know, or slightly different path than what you thought you were going. And, right. uh, and I think uh, that's why it's such a, you know, it, it, that's why I call it a process. And you, and it's definitely uh, something that you get out of it, what you put into it. And I would, I would highly recommend it to anybody because I think, and it's so critical to have, a great coach and, and mentors along the way to help you discover that and to give you that feedback. Right. And I think it's a good example when you brought up John, uh, I you know talked to him a few times and I was talking to the buds commander a while ago and he listens to the podcast and he's not really pro therapy, but he loves John because he's the work with John. So it's awesome that he still gets kind of therapy from John <laughs> and mindfulness. And it's awesome that he's now uh, role modeling. It's okay. It's okay to look into these areas and to maybe, you know, have some therapy and learn from some people. And so it can make you so much better in life, approach things differently and broaden your black and white thinking, <laughs> which we have in law enforcement abundantly. Yeah. And I, I, you know, was blessed to be able to have the neuroplasticity to be able to go into psychology coming from law enforcement, which is a pretty hard shift because there's so much gray in psychology and there's some out there <laughs> theories and uh, interesting theories. Uh, so it's good to open up your mind and take the good stuff, leave the bad stuff behind. But I, I love John's podcast. Can't say enough about him. I really like his um, demeanor and attitude. I like the meditation before I start. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that's really good that some of you guys are going into that area because it shows a good example that it's okay to do that. What's well, good. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, with all that stuff, especially, you know, when it comes to, to seeking to help, it, as with just about everything, right, whether it's entrepreneurship or skydiving or whatever, like the, the biggest hurdle is usually going from zero to one. Once you've done it once, you say, you know, it takes away a lot of your apprehensions, res whatever reservations you may have had about Right. Uh, engaging in the process and, and you're able to do it more easily, right? You kind of say, oh, well, that, that, that wasn't that bad. It's just the fear of the unknown. 
And, you know, I, I think for me, like it's, you know, people say, oh, it's tough to do. And well, I guess it is. Yeah. But, you know, after you've done it once, it does, it gets a lot easier. Um, it's yeah. Right. Just like when you exercise, your muscles have muscle memory. And so the same thing, your mind has mind memory. So you, um, you start to exercise your mind and learn new habits and new ways of thinking. It becomes second in our nature. And I love Marcus Luttrell. He taught me about cognitive reframing. He's a master at it. He'll start a sentence with like a negative part of the sentence. By the end of the sentence, he's already turned it around and found a positive. He's found like a silver lining. And it's amazing how quickly he does that. It's good stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I I know we've been on here for a while. We've been talking for, for almost an hour and a half. And, uh, you know, I, I, for one, appreciate you coming on here and sharing some of your perspectives with us, but you know, because of the topic that we're discussing today, if you wouldn't mind, like if we could do like another, just a five minute quick rehash of all this stuff for anybody who was listening and, and look at like, Hey, you know, what are some actionable steps we can take? Like, let's look at, you know, what are the things we want to be on the lookout for and what are some of the things we can do to help somebody who's gone through a situation to make sure that, you know, they don't, they don't uh, go all the way through it and, and, and hopefully help them come out stronger on the other side. Right. So I think the most important thing, again, is having that one close relationship. So if everyone would get, when they transition, they would get a transition teammate. And so you have someone that you check in with once a week and you ask them, tell me what's going on with you this week, bro, what's happening? How's the wife? How's the kids? How's work? You know, what's the best part of your week? What's the worst part of your week? And checking in with that person, developing that trusting relationship, having that mandate once a week, Friday night, six o'clock, whether it's Zoom, at a bar, at a coffee shop, committing to that, committing to that friendship, to be there for each other is research has shown this is the most important thing so that you start the process upstream so you don't get to the cliff. And then um, getting to know yourself, you know, spending time with a therapist, spending time with your pastor, spending time in your small group at church or your veterans group. I know the veterans group that I went to is veterans law enforcement at church. Uh, We went pretty deep. People told their stories and I think that's a great place to find camaraderie, to share things with people that are safe. Nothing leaves the group. And you can find you know, your, your teammate there to buddy up with as well. Uh, and then also uh, it's important to clean out your compartments. So I've you know, spent some time doing this with veterans and law enforcement. So when we're going through deployments or traumas, situations, we put things in compartments that happen to us because we don't have time to deal with it at the time. Research shows that if you clear out the compartment within 30 days, you don't have a chance of getting PTSD. Not that everybody gets PTSD, but 
some people do. So it's important to talk to someone and clear out those compartments because what happens is it's like I compare it to a, a file cabinet. It's a file drawer. You put stuff in the file drawer and it's applicable like to a candle. You put a candle in a drawer. Over time, it's going to melt and the wax is going to seep out of the drawer. The same thing with what you put in your compartments, the moral injury, the stress, the guilt, the whatever shame, the anxiety, the fear is going to leak out after a certain period of time. And it leaks out into your marriage. It leaks out into your irritability at home, at work, with your kids, etc. It's important to clean out those compartments. Really important. I've had some experience with this. And let me tell you, when the person came into the room, they had the rucksack on their back. When they left, it was gone. It was a long session, a like four-hour session. All the compartments were emptied. <laughs> they had something important that they had to move on to that was going to be stressful. So we got it all done. They didn't have a lot of time to come back several times. It was done. Everything was done. We resolved the moral injury, resolved the trauma, resolved the guilt and shame, all that's done. Now they go on, you know, to whatever they need to do and they're clear. Mm -hmm. I give them tools how to the ABCs of cognitive behavioral therapy, how to reframe. So if this happens again, they can send me an email and say, this is, you know, I teach them how to do the ABCs, look at the activating events, the belief and the consequences, then have them look, do a cognitive restructure or they look at it instead of ruminating on the negative event and the consequences and their belief about it, they look at the overall picture and they write a statement about it. And that helps them see things in perspective. So instead of sitting with your ruminating negative thoughts when you go through a crisis, the most important thing during that time, that trauma, that multiple stressor time is to have the friend reach into you because sometimes you can't reach out. So like my friends came over, they called, they didn't accept no for an answer. Mm -hmm. We're coming to pick you up. We're going to be there in a half hour. Get ready. We're going to go. There was no no. There, we're, we're there. And I've learned you know, from Marcus and other people that you check in with the guy. He's coming over. You call him every 15 minutes. Where are you? Make sure if they're at that point where they're, you keep checking in with them. You keep in touch with the person. And you get them to safety at your house or you go spend the night at their house. It's important to have that relationship so you can see, even if they act cheerful and nothing's wrong, which is what I heard in the case of the EOD guy that was active duty, he was very cheerful and no one knew. So, you know, oftentimes with law enforcement, with soft guys, you guys don't show always your emotions and so you put on a happy face, a mask, and it's important that you have that one trusted friend that knows your demeanor, that knows your nonverbals to see if your verbals and your nonverbals are matching. You know him, his patterns of responses and behavior that you know what's going on with him. You have built up that trusting, safe 
loyal, compassionate, empathetic relationship that you know when it's getting bad. And if, uh, you know, uh, that's some of the things that I've always heard too, is like, hey, if you suspect somebody might be close to the edge of that cliff, obviously you don't want to leave them alone. You don't want to, you, you know, you want to get them to see somebody who is a professional and can make a, a, you know, a better informed determination than you as to whether or not they're okay. Um, I remember uh, when I was in EOD school and Mike, you might even be more familiar with this story than I was. Um, some of the guys who were instructors there told us this story about, you know, this guy that they had worked, it was a EOD tech and the guy was having troubles and the guys went over, they hung out with him, you know, I guess like the whole night. And, you know, uh, as the next day they were leaving as he seemed better, and the, the guy said to him, and I'm probably not remembering this story correctly because this was, you know, 16, 17 years ago when I heard it. But, you know, the, the guy said to to them, like, hey, man, that that was really fun. Thank, thanks for coming and hanging out with me. And they said that was the last thing that he had ever said to them. They said, like, later, like that next day. And maybe, Mike, you might know the story better than me, but they said, like, they found him the next day. He had hung himself. And, uh, you know, they, they, they just, uh, what you were talking about, right. They said, Oh, he seemed like he was okay after we went and hung out with him. And that's, that was the lesson I took away from that was like, even if they seem like they're the happiest person on earth, like, you know, just not too long ago, they weren't right. And you need to get them to go talk to somebody, um, and get, get a professional who, who deals with that stuff, who can make a better determination than you of, of what their, their real condition is. Right. So I, in that case, I would have said, let's go have coffee. I have a developed sense of intuition when something's not right. And so I want you guys to develop that sense and, uh, you know, take the time. I know we have really busy lives and we have things scheduled, but I've learned that people matter more than my hair appointment, whatever, my you know, study time, people matter. I take the extra 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, say, hey dude, let's, you know, I'll meet you at the coffee shop five minutes away, or let's jump in my car, let's go. I really want to talk to you. Tell me what's happening with you. You know, I just, I just, you know, went on vacation or I just you know, had this rough time in my life. Uh, just tell me what's happening with you. It's important not to leave them alone. And so to me, that's an indicator when he said, you know, thanks for hanging out with me. I really appreciated that he was lonely, that no one's hung out with him, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so he was voicing his appreciation, his gratitude for someone actually wanting to spend time with him. Loneliness is a really, really common thing. And it's a big indicator. And when people are lonely, they isolate. And when they're depressed, they lose interest. It's good that he showed up. That's a really important thing. And so the next step would have been to engage him a little bit further and sit down and say, hey, tell me what's going on with you. You know, I want to get to know you a little bit. And then I tell him what's going on with me. And then we talk. And through talking to them, you know, you become friends. And he realizes that somebody cares about him. Somebody's taken an interest. He must. He might not be that bad after all. 
he might not that be that undesirable to be with after all. Because you don't know what happened to make him think that. His girlfriend left him. Somebody else just, you know, gave him a hard time. Somebody else harassed him, bullied him. You know, he didn't feel, we need to have a sense of belonging. We were created for connection. This is really important. We are made to connect with people, not to isolate and be alone. So once that spiral starts of loneliness, isolation, going inward, losing interest in activities, you know, sleeping too much, eating too much, eating too little, uh, energy decreased. Wow, the dude doesn't have any energy. He's such a, you know, energizer budding before. All these are signs of depression. Depression comes with suicide ideation sometimes, not always, depending on how severe the depression is. So these are all indicators that something's going on. You know, they're not sleeping well. They lost interest in activities. They're talking about how guilty, how shameful, how they don't feel worthy anymore. Um, energy's down and concentration's off, appetite changes. They're nervous, kind of tapping their foot. They never did that before. And, you know, they're thinking about suicide. Uh, sometimes they'll talk about that often in the soft community, you know, and in law enforcement, there's a lot of pride. And there's a lot of you know self-reliancy where they're not going to talk about it. That's why you need to have that connection established ahead of time so they feel comfortable with you discussing their life. And multiple stressors is really high on the list. Again, our human spirit, our heart, our soul, our mind can only take so much. You got you know PTSD, you got moral injury. From the war, you're dealing with that mentally. If you haven't cleaned up your compartments, then you have your wife bitching at you, or now she wants to leave. And then you have, you know, some guy at work is on your case about something. It's like, enough, enough. You need to get some help. And it's normal. We all have a limit. Mm -hmm. Part of life, everyone needs help sometime in their life, no matter who you are no matter what your situation is, everyone needs help. That's what I've learned from doing therapy, no matter how rich the person is, how many businesses they have, what's going on in their life, they all need help. No one's immune to, to trauma. Uh, my OBGYN said, you know, women have PTSD after pregnancy. People have PTSD after car accidents. People have TBI from sports injuries and car accidents. These are normal things in life. But like the athlete, take pride in getting help and getting your tune-ups and getting the best help available that the government, the military, or outside the military can give you. It's part of self-care. It's part of taking care of yourself loving yourself so that you are the best for your wife and your kids and your job. And then being grateful every day for being able to get up and walk, even if you have pain <laughs> and, uh, you know, getting to the mailbox, walking down the street, you know, playing with your kids on the floor, 
These are all amazing things God has blessed you with that you can still do. Maybe later on in life, we can't do that. But just having gratitude, you know, you have a house. We live in the greatest nation in the country. You guys help build this greatest nation in the world. And never forget that. So enjoy your life now. You've done your service. Enjoy your life. Be proud of what you've done. You've done everything your commanders asked you to do to the best of your abilities. Take pride in that. And then go on and enjoy your life, your new career, and take pride in that. And when things get too hard, share it with your, your transition teammate, with your buddy. And share with each other. Have that mandate once a week and commit to it, whether it's by Zoom, coffee, bar, whatever you want to meet, talk with your friend and share and get to know each other. Tell them what's going on. That's going to make a difference in suicide prevention. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I'll just throw it out there. Like, don't be afraid to ask for help and, and don't be afraid to offer it too. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where the more proactive you are, the more effective you'll be and, you know, be on the lookout for it. And so, Monika, I know uh, we, we went over by a pretty mm -hmm. significant amount of time, but I appreciate you hanging out uh, with us. And uh, Mike, you got anything else? No, great, uh, great topic today. It's something that uh, I don't think a lot of people want to talk about, but I think it's something that really needs to be talked about. So I, I hope this, uh, I know it, it'll reach some folks and I hope it helps some folks out there. And if it helps anybody, it was well worth it. So thanks for coming on today. It's great sure. talking to you. Sure. And people can reach out to me at um, Monika Christensen on LinkedIn if they need any other pointers or places of help. I want to end with the VA uh, crisis line phone number, the Veterans Crisis Line. I actually called them to find out if they have like internships. And so they were like, are you in a crisis? I go, no, I'm in school. You know? I want to volunteer. <laughs> Uh, we talked a little bit. They wanted to make sure I was okay. <laughs> they yeah. were very kind people. So I can tell you, I use the crisis line for something unrelated to a crisis. So it's 1-800-273-8255 and press number one. And it's available 24-7. I called it a 1 a.m. <laughs> so I'm a night person. <laughs> Finished studying late. So yeah, please feel free, even if you just want to talk to them about, you know, anything that's going on in your life. They're very nice people. I talked for about a half hour, <laughs> whatever was on my mind to them, school and stuff. And don't, they're very kind people. So uh, reach out if you want to talk and you don't have a therapist or anyone, Veterans Crisis Line, 1-800-273-8255. Press number one, they're available 24 seven. Awesome. And we'll make sure we post all that info too when, when this episode comes out. So Monika, thanks again for coming on and, and chatting with us. And uh, we'll look forward to continuing to, to stay in touch in the future. Okay, it's my pleasure and honor. Thank you. Thanks. All right, have a good one, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. 
make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net and let us help you get to vet.